On this episode, we talk about open innovation during a health crisis, the power of positive actions, and taking ownership over the issues we care the most about. Coming up. Over the past few years, we keep on hearing that 2020 to 2030, it's a critical decade. Humanity needs to take bold actions to reverse the many unsustainable and unjust practices that brought us here. Actions that ultimately will save our planet. But what is really happening behind these high-level statements? What is humanity really doing differently during this decade? Hi, my name is Tudor Tarlev and I am the host of Action Decade podcast, where it is my mission to discover and interview communities that take bold actions on specific, on-the-ground challenges during this critical decade. From building new sustainable villages, reshaping policy, mobilizing civic society, reinventing education and democracy, experimenting with new economic models, and whatever else in between that could help us restore our chances for a flourishing future. I aim to find and share what works and what doesn't when it comes to collective actions and community building for the greater good. I hope for everyone listening, there's something of value to take out. Enjoy the show! Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number two of Action Decade podcast. Before I get to introduce our guests for this episode, I would love to take a moment to share a few details about the podcast project itself. First, I would really appreciate if you, in case you find this episode relevant, that you like or share it on your social platform of choice. Also, if you have someone in mind that might benefit from this conversation, please tag them or leave their name in in a comment either on YouTube or when you share the podcast, the audio file. Second, this show is very much built with the community in mind. So if you have feedback or if you have ideas for questions that need to be asked on this show, or perhaps guests that I need to approach and invite to the podcast, then please head to ask.actiondecade.org and leave your feedback suggestions there. Let's build something together that is meaningful for as many people as possible. Now, I would love to introduce our hero for episode number two, which is Richa Srivastava Chabra. She is driving the strategic collaborations and partnerships at Makers Asylum in Goa, India. And she had an amazing career path from working on strategic planning in telecom industry to working with the government of Andhra Pradesh on fintech and and blockchain technology to eventually joining uh, the Makers Asylum in India. The Makers Asylum is a community space that fosters learning experiences that are driven by local challenges in line with uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals. Recently, they they launched an amazing initiative called M19, um, which had a huge impact, uh, positive impact, helping India go through the the health crisis that, that it encountered. I'm personally looking forward to this conversation to hear more about how their work 
uh, evolved during this pandemic, but also before. And what's their plan for the future? I hope you'll enjoy it. And without further ado, please help me in welcoming Richa. Richa, welcome to the Action Decade podcast. Good morning from Amsterdam and good afternoon in Goa. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Great, great. Enjoying the Dutch summer, uh, which means cloudy <laughs> weather and, and rains, but otherwise it's it's fine. Thank you for, for being on, on the show on this uh, weekend, uh, on Saturday. So to, to kick off the conversation, I want to start with our traditional five in five game. So I have five questions uh, in five minutes that will give people uh, listening or watching this a sense of what is the story about and um, if they are interested to, to listen to the rest. So you are the, the managing partner of a makerspace. And maybe for some people listening, this is a new concept. What is a makerspace? Well, uh, as far as what I understand and what we've been working around, so makerspace is uh, more like a community lab open for people to come and access and use. So you can go from ideation to actually making things. So you can see a lot of things like 3D printers, laser cutters, woodworking shop, metal shop, virtual reality, electronics, all these different kinds of tools all put together in an open space, which is open for the community. So anybody from, you know, from a teenager to even a retired individual can come in and come and access the space because then uh, you can, you know, get making. So a lot of startups come use the space. So uh, a lot of designers, a lot of architects, various kinds of disciplines across board come and use the space because uh, it's like a great uh, open community lab for prototyping of your ideas, especially around hardware and design. Awesome. And what are you currently working on? Uh, why this is exciting for you, but also why is it valuable for other people to to listen about this? I think uh, what's super exciting about makerspaces and the maker community is that these are, you know, uh, citizen-led kind of innovation environments where a lot of really exciting things can happen. So over uh, since 2013, since we started out of a little garage in Mumbai, and now we've sort of moved around, the community has become really rich of people that we've met, the kind of projects that we've done that's not only just focused on, say, uh, sustainability, it's focused on education, it's focused on healthcare, it's focused on all kinds of different kind of disciplines. So I think every day there's a new uh, exciting uh, thing that comes across board because there are new ideas, different kind of folks that you meet. Uh, and uh, it's just overall really exciting because uh, uh, you go into the day thinking that something else is going to happen, but like you meet, you know, really exciting people who come down to the space with a lot of really creative ideas uh, that they want to implement. So I think personally for me, it's like every day is a new day and uh, there's so much excitement because you get to meet such different kind of individuals from across board. We'll have more time to dive into specific projects, one of them being M19 Collective or Initiative. Uh, briefly, what is it exactly and what inspired the, the, the beginning of, of this initiative? Uh, so the M19 Collective uh, and the initiative we started in uh, 2020 when India went in the biggest lockdown ever that we had seen. Uh, so Webhav, uh, I uh, and one of our teammates, we decided to quarantine at the asylum so that we could have access to the tools while, you know, and 
sort of create impact in certain kind of way. Uh, but the collective was sort of a group of, again, interdisciplinary individuals. So makerspaces, industry, designers, all kinds of folks sort of come together with a common goal of uh, being frontline support to frontline warriors of our country and do something that could be helpful in that time. So uh, that's how the whole initiative started. And we were able to last year make about a million shields in 49 days via open sourcing and things like that. So it was really uh, amazing. Exciting. We'll, we'll go deeper into that story in, in a bit. Um, now I would still love to uh, to keep it on, on your side of the story and, and your perspective. So if you had to imagine the opposite of what you do today, completely different place, different activity, different industry, what would your life look like? Uh, well, I think it would... I don't know if... There could be anything more exciting in my life than what I'm doing at the moment. I've had some great, uh, you know, previous roles that I've done. I was in the government before. I've also worked with a large corporate organization. So I guess my life would have been one of those, uh, you know, sort of going to office kind of a life where you're doing, you know, things which are in a large setup. But I guess uh, Makers Asylum makes it really exciting. And finally, in this five in five uh, segment, what is the most valuable lesson uh, for you from working in this makerspace environment? I think for me, the most valuable lesson definitely has been how, uh, you know, even being part of a small, of a community, how you can take ownership, empathize with people around you and really contribute in impactful way in the ways that you think that you're passionate about. So I think for me, it's been a very great learning to really, um, you know, empathize with the community around you and do things which really impact uh, you know, the surroundings. Uh, so yeah, I would say that. Awesome. Perfect timing. So now let's dive a bit deeper into the story of the Makers Asylum and the initiative that you started recently or or co-created recently. So can you share a bit this, the story of the Makers Asylum uh, as a makerspace and how did you personally got involved with it? Uh, so uh I think uh, Makers Asylum, We uh, it started in 2013 out of a little garage in Mumbai where Bebhav, who's my partner in professional and also real life, because he's my husband now, he started it when he moved down uh, from Boston uh, out of a personal need to create a space for experimentation because he was working on a hardware product at that time and did not have a space like this to go and, you know, iterate on his designs and do something which, you know, where he could learn, I guess. And of course, the ceiling of his office fell down and broke all the furniture. And that's how he sort of called in for a community meetup for people to fix furnitures, furniture with him. And six people showed up for beers and uh, pizza. So that's how the community started. But I think I was one of the initial people who was actually also uh, part of the community because uh, right when Webhav had moved back from Boston, uh, I had also moved to Mumbai uh, as part of my job. I was I was working with a telecommunication company and I was just moved into a recent job where I was working for the chief technology officer in technology strategy, doing a lot of really fun things in Mumbai. So uh, one of my friends, he actually told me that, uh, hey, if you want to like spend your time, you know, uh, in a more fun way, there's this new place that's come up uh, in Bandra. Uh, it's called Makers Asylum. Why don't you go visit? There's some really fun, you know, nerdy people there, but it could be exciting to spend your weekend instead of, you know, partying and, you know, going out for movies and stuff like that. So I thought it could be a fun opportunity. So uh, just I dropped by uh, on one of the afternoons and 
uh, what I saw was really fun because there were like there were two 3D printers in a like a hundred square feet space, and there were some twenty people in that room, really like looking at these 3D printers and trying to sort of figure out what the hell is going on. And then there was Vebab, there was Anul, and they were all like sort of you know teaching people how to sort of work with these 3D printers. So I learned a little bit about that on that day. But I found uh, what I was really excited about is the whole concept. Uh, the kind of passion with which uh, you know all the work was going around so it sort of stayed with me for a very long time and i kept going back again and again so makers asylum has actually moved seven spaces uh, in the last seven years so i I'm, i think i'm the only person apart from beba who's actually been to all these spaces so over the years i've been like sort of following uh, uh beba's journey as an acquaintance to sort of see you know uh what really uh, how can i contribute because i never never really thought of myself as a maker and uh, but the space sort of gave me a lot of uh, really uh, fun things to sort of look at and you know go for so over the years i've been part uh, of the community and then uh, in 2018 um uh, sort of webab and i remet Uh, as part of one of my government work in Vishakhapatnam in Vizag which was with a coastal town in India and uh, over the years while i've known him we uh, met at the time when he was part of this um, you know this conference uh, that was happening which was the UNESCO MGIP conference on education which was happening in Vishakhapatnam and at the time incidentally i was also working for the government of Andhra Pradesh and uh, incidentally i was in Vishakhapatnam that day so we sort of remet and that's when we started dating uh i never really know knew that i'm going to start working for makers asylum because i had a really fun job with the government working around you know uh driving a lot of fintech blockchain investments really amazing uh job role that i had uh so we started dating back in 2018 after the, after we met and uh i got to know a little bit more about the work that makers asylum was doing uh we were both in um Europe in the summer of 2018 uh because i left the government and i was just you know sort of on a break to sort of see what uh could interest me for my next steps and uh that time i think uh, webhop was on this whole thing uh, and he was hosting uh, the summer school in uh, and the sdg school uh, conversation at cree with francois and everyone and that's how i sort of got to learn more about it and he said that you know why don't you join us because you could add value in terms of the skill set you bring so i said okay let's complicate our relationship and that's how i sort of <laughs> started working with him i had the opportunity to to uh witness segments small segments of that story uh with yeah. the uh, steam school or sdg school so it's it's been amazing to to follow you ever since and and to see your work so that's somehow also the moment for me when you know a classical maker space as a space with tools for the community to come together prototype and and create new solutions also added this uh, education element so you started to have different like uh, ongoing trainings and summer schools and and so on but i'm wondering were you the unique case or more or less all the other fab labs maker spaces in india were doing the same so what what was the context uh, context of of the maker spaces and and more specifically if you can classify them like before the pandemic and within the pandemic what what how do you think this evolution happened so i think um i think the maker movement in india is still uh, 
very nascent. It sort of started, I think, pretty much with Makers Asylum back in 2013 when it was the first community makerspace that opened up in the country. Uh, and I think in the last couple of years, the government has had focus around sort of creating more of these spaces. But I think independent makerspaces are still a very, um, you know, a small section of the maker community because if you see even across the world, uh, there are like different fab labs, uh, there are makerspaces that are inside universities, they are inside organizations, but they're not independently sort of open. You know, there are very few places and Makers Asylum is one of them. So having a sustainable model for a makerspace like this, I think uh, from a perspective of sort of really financially supporting uh, yourself as a business has been a has been a struggle. And of course, uh, over the years, we've tried different kinds of things to do so that, you know, we can sustain ourselves independently from that perspective. Uh, so I would say that from a classification perspective, I think there's still a very niche community uh, in India, which is, you know, the maker community, which is not as uh, prevalent or was as uh, recognized definitely before the pandemic. But I think during the pandemic, I think across the world and, spe and especially in India, with the whole, uh, you know, uh, support that came in from the maker community that got together to really support the frontline workers, the kind of volumes of, you know, impact that we make during that time really uh, resonated with a lot of people. They got to sort of understand that a space like this exists and there could be more spaces like this that could, you know, add value on a local community level for people and I think post the pandemic, it's not post the pandemic yet because we're still in the second wave um, of uh, the pandemic in India and we're still doing a lot of work, but people have started realizing the value of community spaces, community led initiatives, how collective intelligence can really add value in an agile manner in, you know, even in times of crisis or otherwise. And over the years, the um, the asylum has been such a great, amazing space for innovation to happen. There are 30 plus startups that have come out of it organically. People have found value in the learnings uh, via the programs that we do uh, because these are very hands on. These are practical skills. These are practical know how that, you know, uh, we're sort of passing on to other folks uh, from what we've been learning over the years. So I think it's been uh, the transition of recognizing what a makerspace is has definitely been stark because of the pandemic and because of all the work that was happening as part of the M19 initiative. And I think now a lot of people really see value in open innovation in supporting community-led, uh, you know, um, uh, initiatives and also see value in the kind of learning that a space like this, uh, you know, brings to the table. It's because it's completely alternative. It's not traditional. It's based on practical sort of, you know, uh, learning a skill to solve a problem kind of an approach versus, you know, learning something and then waiting for a problem to happen later to solve it. Right. So uh, it's a different thought process. And I think there's a lot of value um, that people are seeing now, definitely, uh, that I see as a transition. And you mentioned that during the pandemic, the, the maker spaces kind of got the, in a, in a way, stepped up and got more attention um, to, towards the value that they can bring uh, in all the times, actually, but especially in a situation like the pandemic. So what was specifically your response during the pandemic? And, and here we already mentioned a few times uh, M19. So what was it? Uh, how did it start? And can you give us a bit more details? So just like, uh, so like I mentioned, uh, you know, in uh, March 2020, when India went into the biggest lockdown, we as a maker community and a maker space sort of uh, really did not have 
a lot to go. We are an independent business. We did not know where it's going to go. There was a lot of uncertainty, a risk. Uh, you know, how do we, you know, deal with our employees? How do we pay them? All of that kind of stuff because we're an open space for people to come in and access these equipment. So we had to shut down, and that's when we decided that you know it would be. Um, amazing to uh, just be around our tools and see what kind of impact that we could create so basically uh, webav i uh, narain one of our team members we decided to just sort of stay back at the asylum to you know uh, have access to the tools and see what we can really do with it and at the time and we've been part of the open source community for over the years because uh, that's what has been the culture uh, of makers asylum uh, sharing of knowledge sharing of ideas and openly innovating and uh, because the pandemic sort of started much early on in western countries um, the open source community was already very active and they were trying to sort of help uh, from a perspective of you know how they could offer help in other countries so uh, we chanced upon a few things that we thought that it could be easy for us to you know sort of you know work around and we sort of made this really basic um, you know design of a, a of a, a face shield and we threw it out on our social media and what we did realize what started coming in was a lot of calls from doctors uh, nurses a lot of people asking us that hey guys if you're creating these we want to buy them can you give it to us we really need them we don't have them and this is uh, the time when india was not a ppe manufacturer last year we did not make these in india before so we were in fact one of the first people who started making these in india and uh, soon we realized that the situation is pretty grave out there right and what do we do about it because between the three of us we had a very meager goal of you know making 1000 of these but when you think about 1000 versus 1.3 billion people in this country uh, that number does not match right and uh, how do you create impact with you know less a number of people but what was the most powerful idea from uh, that that we wanted to sort of do was that you know uh, giving the principles and the culture of what we've been fostering around open innovation we open sourced the design and we started activating more maker spaces more community groups so that they could make these locally locally in their local towns villages and cities with locally available materials and as soon as we open source the design the acceleration of you know going from a paper prototype to actually making something which was you know absolutely a well defined product in two weeks time literally like going from prototyping to actually going to you know the final prototype or the final version of it we did about 21 design iterations in the process uh, but all of this was happening super quickly because there were more and more people contributing ideas and when you are in an open innovation cycle this is what's very beautiful about it because you know you can go uh, and there could be so many successful solutions that you sort of you know gain value from so people were adding so much value to our design and everybody was making these locally in different parts of the country using local materials and we were exchanging ideas and knowledge and all of this was sort of going on parallelly and um, we were able to scale to about 1 million uh, of these face shields in 49 days which not even like there were there were no central manufacturing units that could do something like this in an agile format and uh, using the principles of open sourcing distributed manufacturing and all of that that we believe in it was an, a very beautiful experience that was you know that we were witnessing i've never seen you know i've never personally experienced something like this and it was such a beautiful moment to see uh, such active uh, you know a level of impact that we would wanted to create people wanted to support their frontline workers and all of this happening locally in 42 cities towns and villages of india parallelly as we speak so uh, that's pretty much how the m19 initiative sort of started 
and then we went on to do many more things uh, which were uh, you know other you know uh, other things like we made active respirators we made face shields for babies we made face shields superhero face shields for teenagers we made active rebreather masks for senior citizens uh, and all of this was sort of so uh, and it was happening from a very open health and open innovation perspective and uh, in december last year we chanced upon um, you know sort of working on an open source design for oxygen concentrators and in december in india there was no conversation around oxygen and you know the problem of oxygen in the country and we were researching about it because there was a report that was published by the open source community saying that there could be possible you know uh, reasons uh, why oxygen could be an issue in the future and uh, just from a research perspective we were working on this open source design with one of these us based uh, open source design community and uh, and that time we left the conversation because in december we were you know we were like you know there's no going to be no oxygen problem in india seems like we're also through with covid but nobody really realized that how badly the second wave is going to come in so about 4 weeks ago uh, uh, the oxygen problem sort of really alleviated in the country and on the same principles of open sourcing and decentralization we started the project around open source oxygen concentrators which is called the M19O2 now where we've been uh, trying to really create uh, the same uh, 42 cities and towns and villages we've now moved now that's become 150 cities towns and villages in india with over 700 people who are actually making these oxygen concentrators using locally available materials in their local communities for their local communities and all of this again is happening with uh, the same uh, real time kind of exchange of ideas knowledge there are people who are contributing that 25 prototypes that are already in advanced stages we're going into certific certification this next couple uh, next couple of days and we are hoping that we can you know sort of create a network uh, that can really be activated not only for a crisis but for actually locally creating anything in the future because this is not the uh, this is not the only time that you know this is going to happen the climate climate change is coming there is uh, you know we all working on sdgs we all know what's going to happen in the future so can we empower people with knowledge and skills rather than just donating these to them and create a more uh, you know sort of environment where people can make these by themselves and truly make in india this is so amazing and inspiring so so basically you are transitioning from a space like a specific place where people can come and and use tools for their prototypes to a network of spaces and people and skills that can respond to various crises or challenges uh, that are still ahead was this the plan or was this something organic that happened uh, over the last year and you realized that there is an opportunity to do more i think uh a lot of the uh, a lot of fundamentals of this idea has been al always part of makers asylum because as a space as well in the past we've been sort of you know working on open source community level projects uh, a lot of you know people coming in with their projects and their problems and we're solving them uh, using the community and uh, while it is a smaller community that we've already created over the last 7 8 years i think what the pandemic has really done is accelerated that idea so much more for us because now we were able to sort of showcase scale we can showcase uh, 
actual legitimizing uh, you know legitimizing the whole idea of decentralized manufacturing legitimizing open source community for that matter because people think that open source community is you know their knowledge sharing there's nothing specific that they can do they cannot create you know beyond just an innovative uh, project in a garage uh, but look at what's happening so beautifully in a country like india which is so resource crunched and you're empowering people with knowledge and that is becoming so much more powerful and you can actually uh, foster that you know motivation around making in the country so makers asylum has always been uh, you know while we were a space but the whole uh, thought process has always been around building that maker mindset and giving people the confidence to really you know play with tools play with ideas and actually make things happen and i think what really has happened now is a very organic progression of makers asylum because all of these principles have already uh, you know we've talked about it we've wanted to do these things but the pandemic sort of gave us an opportunity to come together with a common purpose and a common goal which was beyond just the maker movement and the maker culture was about saving lives about saving people about supporting the frontline workers and actually uh, you know being uh, creating impact in a crisis for our country so i think uh, the feeling of sort of getting together sort of amplified uh, to a much larger extent and uh, i think it's sort of an organic transition but a very beautiful one so about this coming together part so what are some of the biggest challenges but also rewards for you in, in this process of building the collective like if you imagine that this is a you know something that you create in, intentionally what are the ingredients that you put in it so it flourishes well I think um, for any movement and any um, you know organic collective uh, group coming together and working with each other requires one basic level uh, you know one basic thing that really drives them and bonds them is the goal and the reason why you come together and I think in our case uh, the organic reason is the pandemic the crisis and that is a very big reason because you're able to empathize with each other you're able to empathize with people's situation on the ground you're able to empathize because all of us are going through this massive change of you know uh, why we need to do this together so i feel that that has been uh, i think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to a collective and why people come together is the reason why you come together and in this case the pandemic offer, uh, you know offered us a reason which was very uh, global it's not only happening to you me it's happening to everybody and i think that big reason was uh, is uh, definitely one thing that's really holding a lot of people together but i think beyond that what is really holding people is uh, understanding that uh, hey we can openly ideate we can openly share our ideas and that can that can create impact because in you know in traditional ways of innovating you always want to hide your idea you want to close it you want to have an ip on it you want to say that you know i cannot share my idea with somebody because they might copy it and they might monetize on it and all of that kind of stuff right but over here uh, this community is sort of really uh, you know teaching people that you know openly sharing can have so much more value uh, and can equally sort of support everybody because the pie for innovation is much larger and when you're openly innovating and taking these ideas to fruition for your local community the impact can be so much more larger right so i think a lot of it uh, that the community is sort of doing at the moment is definitely around you know uh, having that uh, transition from hey uh, open innovation is exciting open innovation is the way forward 
and uh, and that's something that we're really seeing uh, happening differently and everyone is in sync and wants to do that now i can only imagine what is it to be in the at the core of that community and, and see this organic evolution o- on that being at the core of it what was maybe one key lesson or aha moment that you totally did not expect uh, if you think one year ago or at, at, in the very first days of uh, M19, because you, you said that you were already in this open culture, open innovation, open source. But what is something that was like a total surprise for you? I think the biggest surprise for us was definitely the fact that we were able to, I don't know, like make one million face shields in a distributed manner. I never in my living life imagine because we started with the whole goal of making a thousand of them which is nothing compared to what we were able to achieve uh, but i think what if, what was the most amazing and uh, amazing thing that happened was people joining and uh, seeing that vision that yes i can take this idea and i can do this for my local community that was the most beautiful thing for i think all of us and every day i know that you know webov and i and the whole team used to be like you know uh, today we've made 2000 face shields and then there was some other lab that joined in from some village that we did not even know that existed and they made 200 face shields using the same design and that whole moment in that in that whole moment when you saw that happening you know one would not think that something like that is possible right because when you think about sharing and you know all of that but people actually implementing your idea and actually making impact with it was uh i think a very overwhelming feeling and given that the community sort of also progressed and now upgraded itself to many things more like for example 3 weeks ago uh we had no idea about how to make an oxygen concentrator N- nothing nobody knew exactly how to make an oxygen concentrator in 3 weeks there are 25 people and labs that have no idea about making these oxygen concentrators making oxygen concentrators producing 95% oxygen concentration level that can actually go to a hospital and save somebody so i think just the fact that you know uh one can go from ideation to creation so quickly uh while we know of that as a maker space but having other community groups do that i think was a very uh a very uh amazing and overwhelming feeling and i still can't believe that something like this is happening going from here what's what's next what's your dream and how can people support you you being maker sazalum or the m19 i think from uh, at least what we want to do in the in the in the short term from the m19 initiative is definitely uh, for the current oxygen project we want to definitely support uh, funding these smaller community led groups these citizen led in you know uh, groups that are wanting to make these for their local communities and uh, over there we've sort of uh, put together a larger objective of you know supporting 100 units per state of india which is 29 states in india so about 2900 units and these cost about uh, $700 usd and we want to support the funding of at least those 100 units per state via these community groups because i think the biggest thing that people uh, un- don't understand and what they are not doing at the moment is that while you're donating uh these oxygen concentrators in the country uh to hospitals you're not donating technical support along with it these chinese the us ones all of that they're coming in they're coming they're coming in and they're getting uh pretty much conked off because humidity issues temperature issues in india they're not you know sort of made for the local environment and what you do doing by just dumping all of these is that you're not creating a real 
network of people who can actually support and technically you know um, support these hospitals because these are lying in hospitals some of them uh, in goa i know of this one hospital that said that they have about 3000 of these oxygen concentrators donated to them and they're not functional so i what i want to really ask people is to support and invest into these community uh, groups who can really create change and value for their local ecosystems who can make their local ecosystems more sustainable and empower them with knowledge empower them with skills rather than just you know donating that money for you know once short term kind of an approach to solving a problem and create a longer term benefit where we can you know we are able to support more and more people in terms of knowledge sharing in terms of actually giving them that power and confidence to really make anything because that's going to be very important to have the skill of you know problem solving the to have the skill of you know going from ideation to actually creating a solution for the community and help us sort of really uh, in uh, invest into these labs into these community groups and really nurture them from perspective of knowledge and just not by you know giving them material uh, of sorts i would say so i i i just shared the 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 crowdfunding campaign i assume that the number is already outdated you you managed to raise uh, even more support um so who exactly can contribute is it just in india or people from across the world can make a donation so uh people from across the world can make a donation in india of course you can support uh, individually uh, on the campaign on the crowdfunding campaign but we are uh we're also open to have institutional donors and uh, everyone sort of support because we do have a foundation makers asylum is also a foundation uh so you can support our foundation in india uh for uh, people outside of india you can donate to our uh, uh to our partners uh, in the united states which is fab foundation fab foundation is an amazing um uh, nonprofit organization that has come out of mit and they've been supporting the fab lab community over 20 years now and they started pretty much the maker movement in the world and fab foundation has come on board to support uh, uh support the fundraising outside of india so you can also go to their paypal link or get in touch with fab foundation directly to you know uh support the initiative in addition to that we also have university of cambridge on board which is helping us with the qaqc process for distributed manufacturing we also have uh uh the eu resource efficiency initiative come on board to support goal number 12 which is responsible consumption and production through the initiative and we also now are closing on a conversation with smith uh, smith futures which is again a large foundation uh, in the in the united states that is supporting the research and development around uh, distributed manufacturing and how you can do this uh, for more things in the future especially in india beautiful i'll put the link to all these campaigns uh, so people can choose how can they contribute best uh, it's really inspiring what you do and i hope that you get all the support that you deserve to to push this initiative and, and have more impact uh, i would love to you know have another hour or two just going into details but um i i would love now to summarize and offer some some key takeaways from from your perspective as as being there at the core of of uh creating a collective that responds to various challenges. So if you have to to summarize and maybe recommend a few uh, principles or books or people that really were influential for you during this uh crisis or pandemic as you build or co-design the collective what are some uh 
key recommendations from from you? Uh, I think uh, one of the biggest uh, things that we've been all struggling with, especially in a time of a crisis like this, is the kind of resource availability that you have to, you know, sort of create, uh, uh, you know, uh, anything for that matter. So I think uh, the biggest uh, uh, influence for us has always been the whole concept around Jugaad, uh, which is, uh, you know, an Indian concept of frugal innovation. And of course, uh, you know, Navi, uh, Jaydeep, uh, you know, these authors who've written about frugal innovation have always been so inspiring in the way that they've really thought about it as an opportunity, not having resources as, as an opportunity. And uh, and that was exactly what we were thinking about it, you know, not having resources, but creating a situation like this into an opportunity so that we can support not only ourselves, but we can support many more people through it. I think is a very powerful, uh, you know, uh, conversation to have, to not have resources and how do you sort of really, you know, turn that around for yourself. And I think what uh, Navi and uh, Jadeep have written about in multiple of their books, uh, which is around frugal innovation, doing better with less and things like that. And I think a lot of inspiration definitely came in from those previous conversations. I think uh, the whole um, the whole concept around collective intelligence and working in interdisciplinary groups and how do you bring that together? While we've been doing this through our programs in the past, like SDG School, STEAM School, I think a lot of our partners like Cree in Paris, for example, uh, has been, uh, they've been such great influences around the fact that you can do interdisciplinary work together and uh, still, you know, see value uh, in each other's skill and see complementary skills as collaborative uh, way of, you know, problem solving. And I think, uh, you know, partners like Cree in the past, uh, we've had UNESCO, uh, the French Embassy, UNDP, others, so many people, like 50 plus partners that we've worked in over the last couple of years and done these programs on a, you know, on a two week kind of a setting uh, has really uh, translated into going from, you know, what we teach and uh, to actually doing the same thing for ourselves. So I think um, those are like some of my personal, uh, you know, takeaways and inspirations uh, as part of the whole initiative that I, that we always went back to because, you know, uh, teaching is one thing, but actually implementing it, doing it in the same manner that you teach, I think was uh, was like, you know, was like this moment that, you know, Weber and I were like, wow, I can't believe that, you know, we actually teach people this and we're able to actually implement that in real life. Talking about powerful conversations, one of the big issues in this pandemic was personal well-being and, and mental health. So what are some of the things that that um, you did or maybe some habits that you developed this year that kept the the maker Azalem um, team and the whole collective vibrant and active and, and well? I think one of the biggest things uh, as part of the collective and as a team as well was the fact that we uh, dove in to this whole collective and this whole initiative very fairly quickly when you know everybody went into the lockdown so we really did not have the time to think about you know uh, other things we really kept our energy levels high we did a lot of physical things that kept us you know in that moment you know when you don't have something that you're doing uh, not physically uh, your your mind digresses into you know multiple other conversations uh, you can get depressed you can think about other things there's so much uh, you know, there's so much uh, sadness around you, right, in the world. And I think what the collective uh, and the initiative really brought to Maker's Assignment to us personally and what it gave back to us was that mental space of not, um, you know, thinking about 
uh, what is going around in the world, but focusing on our skills and seeing how that can be of value and really, uh, you know, pushing that thought every day. We used to wake up in the morning at eight o'clock. We used to go back home at 2 p.m. in the night, but we were making shields. Uh, right now, also, we were doing the same thing. We, you know, wake up in the morning, we come here, we have the one big focus agenda that, you know, today we've got to use our skills to, you know, do something which can really help others. And I think that positive uh, energy that comes into the space and the team was so much beyond what we were expecting because not only in our team that everybody was so thrilled and motivated during this time, uh, but people across the collective had a reason to wake up in the morning and do something because there was nothing to do. And I think just having that was so much, um, gave us so much strength every day. We used to make these videos every day where we were updating people, you know, that, hey, today we made so many shields. And people from across the country, from across the world were cheering on, were motivating us. And I think that really was such a beautiful feeling because I think I know for a fact there were so many of our friends uh, who did not have a lot to do. People had gone off their jobs. They did not, you know, their mental uh, equation was... Uh, very disbalanced and uh, we were just up you know I think what really made us uh, feel uh, so motivated was that everybody sort of also directed people who were not doing were not part of the initiative was were directing so much positive energy towards it because uh, there was nothing else that was happening and uh, people were cheering us on so much more so I just feel that doing something physical keeping your focus on your skills uh, and uh, you know just being in that mindset that you know this is what we need to achieve and having a goal in mind uh, definitely was uh, super powerful. Indeed. There's a lot of chat these days and months about 2020 to 2030 to be to being a critical decade. We have the SDGs, uh, we have a lot of conferences, events, policy and, and so on. But yet there is the feeling that we don't do enough, uh, that we are very close, uh, that we have several crises from environment to inequality and, and, and so on. Um, and this is also called an Action Decade podcast. So from your perspective as being an innovator on the ground, uh, being in this collective, if you had an open mic and you could address either the decision makers or communities at large, what would be your message if we uh, had to really act and do something in this decade? I think uh, my message to everyone would be that um you know, it's important to take ownership uh, of your community, of your local ecosystems and feel that you can do something differently. Because most of us, I think, uh, on normal days, don't think that they can contribute to the SDGs because they're so beyond us. You know, sometimes you don't feel that, you know, you're qualified enough to do it. But I think what I really want to tell people is that take that ownership. Everyone is qualified to contribute. And every contribution is going to make a significant difference in the way that our planet, our world and the community around us is going to sustain in the future. So take that ownership, uh, get yourself educated about, you know, what is going on in the community, what is, you know, not working for them. What can you do from the perspective of whatever that you have in terms of your skill and how can you contribute uh, to them? Because that's, those are powerful conversations and just being mindful of that, that you have the power and the ownership to make an impact is really important. And finally, where can people find more about you, your work and make a contribution? Well, we are available on all social media channels at Makers Asylum. Uh, we are also, so 
anywhere that you type Makers Asylum, you should be able to find us. Uh, so we are there on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, and all the places. So we we do communicate a lot on on these channels. So you'll definitely find us over there. Thank you, Richard, for being on the show today, for sharing your story, and for actually doing all this work that that helps to to bring a positive impact and change so many lives i will put all the links in the description of the show the episode is gonna go live on tuesday i'll make sure to tag you across all the channels uh both in the video format and audio on on various podcasting uh, apps i'm grateful for this conversation and uh, i wish you all the best in your future adventures thank you so much tudor for having me this is amazing